Hi everyone, and welcome to Talking Good, where we explore the perspectives of philanthropic sector employees and volunteers. I'm your host, Britt Hotailing, and today I'm so humbled to be joined by the Development and Program Director of the Berkeley Food Pantry, Dharma Galang. Dharma has worked in the nonprofit sector for over 10 years, focusing primarily on fundraising and development, but also serving as board president and steering committee member for various organizations. Dharma, thanks so much for stopping by to talk some good with me today. Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in. What do you do currently? And do you think it reflects what initially drew you into the field of philanthropy? So I'm currently the director of the Berkeley Food Pantry and we provide emergency groceries to Berkeley and Albany households. And we're particularly focused on people in crisis who are, you know, ready. They're kind of on the edge. Maybe they're one paycheck away from eviction or uh, one medical bill away from from some type of financial disaster. And yes, it's very much in line with how I see how my philosophy and, and viewpoint of the world. So did you grow up in a philanthropic household? Yeah, so I grew up, I guess I wouldn't describe it as philanthropic. In my family, I think it was more, my parents, I would say they were not very religious, but they definitely raised me with the values of both of the churches they grew up in. My dad is Quaker and my mother comes from a Methodist family. So it really is seen more through, you know, being a part of maintaining the social good, but also a social justice element to it. I'm glad you mentioned that your parents' faith affiliations, because the faith community has such a rich tradition of giving. And I wonder what your personal philosophy is of fundraising or giving yourself. And do you think that's influenced by your experience with faith communities? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, fundraising, when I first heard the word, I think the first thing popped in my mind is, oh, no, it's a lot like raising lots of money, right? (laughs) Going to like Bill Gates, right? Or the the big titans of the world and, and, and begging for money. I what I've come to realize definitely not just through the the Berkeley Food Pantry, but other groups that you've probably seen I've been involved in, you know, Berkeley Crop Walk and also Friends of Lincoln Square is that everybody really wants to to give, right? It's not just the people who have lots of money, but a lot of people like you and me just want to give something. And so sometimes it could be they they just want to give $20 or that's what they feel they could do. But other times it's their it's their personal time, it's their talents. And and I love that I, because I feel like especially with with the pantry, there's only a couple of us that are actually paid staff. Most of our operation is run by volunteers. So it having people come in, giving their time, their knowledge, their resources, and then doing it, you know, in that team atmosphere, kind of building its own community to support other members, right? In our community, we, we, we focus on Berkeley and Albany households. So it's essentially us helping our neighbors when they need help and not, you know, oh, you know, I, I, I try not to, I want to steer away from let's help the, you know, people that are poor and, and, you know, just need, you know, like somehow like we should pity people. No, it's really just helping people when they're in a bad situation. And the great thing too, is that I was actually just talking to a volunteer about this is that, you know, she, Edna, our volunteer, one of our longtime volunteers has been here long enough where she has met clients who 
will come back and say, you know, my situation's improved. You know, I want to give back. You know, I want to volunteer or I want to just give like, you know, 10 or $20 because you guys helped me during that rough patch. So that that really feels good. Thank you for sharing that with me. And you touched on some really, really important points, your thoughts there. And in my experience, I come from a very grassroots background that may be similar to um, your experience, particularly with the uh, Berkeley Food Pantry. And I think an ongoing issue with our field and with this, our general understanding of philanthropy and fundraising and how they relate is this idea of it being somewhat patronizing. And I think that's one aspect of working in a grassroots organization. And the other is that fundraisers aren't inherently trusted in grassroots organizations. It seems like there's a lot of footwork that has to be done to build that trust and to do an amount of educating surrounding the act of fundraising. It does seem that while there's excitement to bring money in, there's less excitement to participate in the activities oh. that bring money in. If does that make sense? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I guess like the example is like when you when you listen to NPR and they're and you constantly hear like the host who you yeah. know is a journalist, you know, sort of repeating, right? Like give money, and they're I'm sure there's reluctance, right? Because they're like, I wasn't hired to be to to to, to do this particular thing that I hate mm -hmm. doing. Is that kind of in line with what you're thinking? Yeah. And there seems to be a level of pushback. So what would your approach be to better integrate fundraising and under, or even just a general understanding of what fundraising mm -hmm. is and looks like to a grassroots organization that maybe doesn't have a full team of professional staff, let alone uh, professional fundraisers? Yeah, I think the example I could give would be Actually, so Berkeley Crop Walk, which which I, I've been involved with, they do donate money to the pantry, right? but it's other organizations as well. And that's, it's, I wouldn't say you don't have to be a member of a church to participate, but it's really backed by the, by the congregations in Berkeley and Albany. And it's sort of done in a way that makes it a community building fun event, right? So you are raising money, but that's not the, it's great to raise money, but there's also this other goal of bringing right awareness to the issue of food insecurity and the inequality of poverty. And then it's also just having, so, so I guess I should tell the listeners what we do. We essentially, it's like once a year that there's, it's like a walkathon, right? So it's a walk. So it starts at one church in North Berkeley and we walk down Shattuck, all through the Gourmet Ghetto, downtown Berkeley, and up by campus. And it's it's a great event because it's really family friendly. People bring their dogs, right? And then at the end, there's a reward. Everyone can have either ice cream or a frozen treat, right, as their reward for doing this uh, three-mile walk. You don't have to even walk, right? We have elderly members who are like, we'll just raise the money, right? Or average, you know, sort of get, get my grandchildren to do it for me. So, so it's... It, that in itself is a community building event, but there's also this kind of like, I mean, it's in Berkeley, so they it's kind of like a march, right? So they're yeah. trying to bring awareness to an issue. And then there's the the money. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's money that goes to the local nonprofits. So us, Youth Spirit Artworks 
and Dorothy Day House of Berkeley. And then it also goes to a group called Church World Service, which will, they use that money to help in their, they work with groups throughout the planet, like projects with farmers, for example, who need climate resilient crops, who need to improve their infrastructure to have better wells, you know, but essentially adapting to climate change. So it's, for me, it's an easy fundraiser because everyone in those congregations feel that what that money is being raised for is aligned with their values versus I, I think we, I'm trying to think we've done different things in the past, but I know there was one time we did do a dinner. We partnered with a, with a restaurant and that it was fun, but it wasn't, you know, because it's, it's, it was much more money focused. I think it was kind of uncomfortable for some people. Speaking of that discomfort, do you think it was specifically because of the nature of the fundraising event, having it be a fancy dinner? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I think people then, you know, if they're feeling like they're pressured to spend more, more money. I mean, some people are fine, right? They're fine with spending a lot of money for an event. But if people like, you know, let's say, I mean, we don't have a, a gala, but I'm thinking of that as an example, right? If there's a gala, which is even more lavish, right? You're paying money, like $100 a ticket to get into an event that could be prohibitive for some people or make pe people feel pressured to participate, even though they're like, I don't feel comfortable even spending this amount. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up because something that I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on is really pertinent to some of the work you do with the Berkeley Food Pantry. Your mission is to bring groceries into homes experiencing crisis. And I wonder what your thoughts are on these sort of negative connotations we have towards the word charity. A lot of people find it to have a negative connotation and they kind of view it as a band-aid approach and things like that. And I'm, I'm wondering, would you use the word charity for the work you do with Berkeley Food Pantry or would you want to use something different? I do agree. There's, there is like baggage with the word charity and it's partly, to, you know, so there's, I've heard charity kind of used both. To, so domestically, right. We've used, we've seen charity as people in higher uh, income brackets, giving money for, for the homeless. Right. I'm just thinking of different causes, right? like yeah. people lower income brackets. And it's really, it's the, the idea is people are encouraged to give back, just give some money and then they'll feel good about themselves and the people they're helping will feel good. good, And then that, that's it. And it, but it, it's, of course we know what ends up happening a lot of times is the money that's given really isn't enough to address the real issue. Why these people have ended up in this, you know, especially if they're homeless. I mean, if, if they're not making, if they need a house or if, if, if they need food, it means that they're just not getting enough resources to sustain themselves. So it's, right. it's more than just, it's going to take more than just somebody writing a check maybe once or twice a year. So there's that part. And then also charity, I think has been tied to colonialism. You know, when we yeah. think about overseas. So when we, we give charity to people in Africa or like these these sort of seen as faraway places that used to be a part of empires and the images right that that come from that it's like you know oh look you know we're helping these people in these very rural areas get running water and again it's it really isn't it shouldn't be about 
us feeling good about giving peanuts to people. It really mm -hmm. should be helping our common human being, our neighbor or wherever they are, actually living a good life, being a part of a family. So so that's really what I see. I I think with my background, I I actually try to think of it more in a biblical perspective. So, you know, for example, in Leviticus, there is a commandment that people, when they used to glean the fields, that a part of the, the field be left, you know, untouched so that widows or anybody in need could just take it for free. Mm -hmm. So, and, the, and then there's also the story of Ruth. So Ruth came and she was a widow and she was allowed to glean from this wealthy man's field. So it's it, the idea being is that helping people in the community, you know, helping your neighbors, this, the, this, the safety net. The thing about the people that come to us, you know, they do have family and friends, but their family and friends may not have a lot of resources themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Or maybe they don't have family and friends. Maybe they're in their 80s and family have died mm -hmm. or like they, they're a hermit. So we have to remember that we're their family and friends. We're going to be there to make sure that they don't fall off the cliff. That's a really excellent way to characterize their situation. It seems as we become a little bit more secular as a nation, organizations like Berkeley Food Pantry and other social service and direct human service organizations are kind of stepping in to be the central community gathering place for folks who would have previously been going to seek aid from the church. I'm really glad you brought up the specific communities and know, understanding their needs and making sure those needs are addressed. And I, there is a push to make sure we're listening to beneficiaries and encouraging them to be a part of the process of creating programs and initiatives. And does Berkeley Food Pantry do anything like that right now? Or have you tried things in the past and seen them work? Well, sometimes it's a little challenging because some, I mean, it's true. There are some people that we regularly see, but then there's other people, they only come to us because of an emergency and then we'll never see them again. We have tried to do surveys in the past to um, get a sense of, get some type of feedback. We do have home deliveries. So we do, there is a, a group of people or households we serve regularly each month or twice a month and we have volunteers that talk and I've even talked to I even talk to them at times getting a sense of like you know if they're unhappy they'll definitely let us know or if they feel that the process could be improved upon mm. we have volunteers who have been former clients and that's also been helpful I definitely actually there was one she's now she's not volunteering with us currently but she she had been a client, was a single mom. So when times were hard, she did come visit us and then right, her situation improved. So during the beginning of the pandemic, she volunteered. And I remember there was an incident where another volunteer got annoyed because, you know, we get, we get a lot of food donations and mm -hmm. sometimes we get sweets. So we'll get like cakes or you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like if you go to Target, right? Like that's one of our <laughs> partner stores. And this other volunteer said, oh no, we never give sweets to people. And she started pulling it out of the bag. Hmm. And so this volunteer who had been a former client says, you know, don't, don't police people about their diet just because they're coming here. These are adults. They can figure, they can figure out what 
they can and can't eat. We already give them good groceries, like, right, we give them fruits and vegetables. So if they have cake, they can choose to have cake. And it was a big, it was kind of a bit, there was a bit of drama about it. But I actually went to her after that. And I said, you know, because she she actually apologized to me in the sense she felt like, oh, I'm sorry for making such a seed. Hmm. And I said, no, actually, I'm really glad you, you did that because she made a really great point was that mm-hmm. just because people are poor or down on their luck or, or whatever, whatever circumstance, they shouldn't be told, right? They shouldn't be treated like children and dictated how like they should live or what they should eat. And, and so that, you know, after that, I was like, I told everyone, I said, we're not we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to like pull things out because we don't think it's nutritious or if it's junk food. We'll just send it out. And as long as we give people, you know, the options, like if, if we were just sending them candy, sugar, you know, cereal, then yeah, that that's an issue. But yeah. as long as we give them like the produce, the meat and then the candy, you know, the sugary cereal, it's, it's okay. Yeah. And that's a pretty common dynamic, particularly with human services. And when you're providing food for those who can't um, maybe attain it for themselves, there is a, a level of paternalism in the work we do in any philanthropic work, really. What are your thoughts on how our sector should address that? I, I don't think people should. I don't think people should be maternalistic. I mean, I, I think we, it's really about treating people with dign- dignity and giving them choices, right? Because they're, they're coming to us because they feel they have no more options. And it's really, you know, our society just really shames people. Like we really already beat people up for even walking up to, to get services of any kind. And it's not that I don't think that education or, you know, helping, you know, like I think nutritional education or whatever other assistance you're giving is wonderful, right? Like we definitely hear, so we're a member of the food bank, Alameda County Food Bank. And we've had, you know, people come from the food bank, you know, doing food demonstrations, you know, giving route recipes. That's great because that shows people, you know, here are the options. Here's how you can cook a great meal with the produce you're getting today. Mm-hmm. But to go and kind of say to people, oh, like, you know, don't eat this, you know, or, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on the groceries, but this could be other things, right, in people's mm-hmm. lives. Yeah, I, I, I guess I personally, I, I, I would shy away from it. I tend to agree. And I do want to say that I did notice that you have a degree in anthropology with a concentration in archaeology. Mm-hmm. And I happen to find that very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I wonder, has that influenced a lot of your work? Yeah, I mean, I really, I enjoy meeting other people from different backgrounds and different cultures. I mean, Berkeley is is definitely, um, you know, because of the university, right, it draws a lot of people from throughout throughout the world. So we definitely see a lot of different people that come through the pantry. Not just, I'm not just thinking of clients, but volunteers. You know, we definitely have had people from um, like Germany, you know, or, or we had some ladies just they were exchange students at Berkeley and they're from Scandinavia. In regards to the other work I've done, you know, with Friends of Lincoln Square Park, which is in Chinatown, I've gotten, I got to know that community because my daughter, because of the interesting zoning in Oakland, uh, we were zoned for that school. And 
it was actually really wonderful that she went to that school and we and we got involved in the Chinatown, Oakland Chinatown community. And it's it's been great not just making new friendships, but also, you know, just meeting people that I realized like if it weren't for the connection with that school and with that rec center, I would never have crossed paths with these people. I would have never heard their perspective of the world, of life, of of their, you know, own backgrounds. Um, to me, that's pretty, it's, it's interesting for me. On the same note, is seeking out different perspectives something that drives you to volunteer? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to, I mean, well, I love teamwork. So, right, obviously, like when you work in the nonprofit sector, it's a lot of problem solving. So teamwork is great when you have different people with different ideas who can come together and, and, and work something out. So a couple of academics named Robert Payton and Michael Moody describe the definition of philanthropy in their seminal book, Understanding Philanthropy, as voluntary action for the public good. And after working in the field and ex having all of these experiences, I'm wondering, would you define philanthropy similarly? Yeah, so that's probably the positive side, right, of the word. I mean, we talked about the negative aspect, but but if you're talking about building for a common good, you know, making a society better, then then yeah, I totally um, agree with that. You know, I I really try to live my life, but like when I when I work with these different groups, I I really want to leave when I the time comes to leave it, I want to leave it in a better place. And yeah, I guess that's all I can say about that. And that's a beautiful sentiment. You know, I I think being able to leave our own little corner of the world in better condition than we found it is always, you know, a worthwhile and important goal. And I think something that relates to that is this concept that I've personally been reflecting on, uh, that philanthropy starts at home. Or, you know, you can word it however you want. It, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to put your mask on first before you can help anybody else. And I wonder how and if that's something that rings true to you. And if so, how does it show up for you? I mean, in our field, particularly fundraising and development, the average tenure uh, for a development director is about 18 months. And mm -hmm. there's a ton of compassion fatigue and burnout in our field. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think having a good starting place, a good foundation is really important in any type of work you do. And, but especially I think something, you know, a job that could be, I mean, there's different levels, right? People, some people do foundation. If they're working for a foundation, a big one, they're probably, they may be far more stressed out than I am with what I'm doing. But, but anyway, but, but I think having that, that good grounding of knowing you know, why you're just even doing it, right? And knowing also your own limits, thinking, okay, this is as far as I can go with this right now. And maybe I have to step back a little bit. That's really important. I think it's also great if you can find a way to surround yourself with people that are like-minded. For me, right, I mean, I have my family background, but also I, I am a regular attender of church. So, you know, being in a community 
where and and of course they, not everyone right does the same profession so they could be scientists or doing something else but they have the same same values that that can be really helpful um, especially if if you're uh, feeling like you're working a lot and you're not necessarily seeing the results that you want thanks so much for sharing that with me i think that's a really important take and now dharma I know you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I definitely don't want to end this podcast without us discussing your involvement with Friends of Lincoln Square Park. Would you be able to go into a little bit of an overview of what your work entails with them? My involvement with Friends of Lincoln Square Park, that I kind of summarized it as building a rec center. But, and this is actually a good side note to make is that what may seem very trivial or sound trivial or maybe not that big of a deal can have actually bigger uh, effects or ramifications mm -hmm. down the road. And, and so I'm going to talk about this rec center. So in Oakland, Chinatown, there is a rec center called Lincoln Square uh, Recreation Center. It's in Lincoln Square Park. It's one of the oldest sections of Oakland. And it's it's pretty much, the building was built in the 70s and it's pretty much at the end of its life. It was built actually too small for the community that uses it. During the pandemic, it, it it's always been a center of that neighborhood. The school next door where my daughter attended uses uh, the park and also, you know, the, she and other kids have been enrolled in their after school and summer program. So of course, I'm giving you this idea. It's all very interconnected. During the pandemic, it also played a really important role. It served a meal, emergency meals. To, you know, it was one of those locations in the community. It's it's also been a place where people would vote. Right. It's you know, the kids were allowed to be at the rec center before the schools reopened during COVID. You know, when everyone was forced to go to school online. They, they could actually go to the rec center in person. So I'm, I'm trying to give examples of how big effect this, this rec center has. So they're essentially, they're trying to, uh, it looks like cross our fingers that the city will build a new rec center, but they're raising money for it. So I've been involved with this, um, you know, kind of like, the, you know, getting awareness about it, uh, doing some, you know, fundraising with it. And again, I guess I feel like to, to maybe somebody outside this community, they would think, oh, big deal. But it actually, it, it is a big deal. And down the road, our hope is, is that it will keep that community thriving. Uh, a lot of what people may not be aware is a lot of Chinatowns in the U.S. are actually kind of endangered because a lot of them are based in downtown areas where demographics are changing, right? There's new, you know, well, gentrification, right? People, developers coming in, redeveloping areas, people being relocating out of, well, the, you know, the immigrant population is kind of, a lot of them are, are relocating outside of where they've traditionally, uh, the neighborhoods they've traditionally settled. Mm -hmm. So... The hope is is that this center will be one of one of those foundational uh, pillars 
that will keep the neighborhood going. So as these changes occur, there will be, it will still have that identity, that history, that connection. And, and my hope is that that will work, <laughs> you know, that this will work and it may uh, give some inspiration or help with other neighborhoods throughout the country, figure out how they're going to adapt to the changing world. Yeah. So it's really comforting to know that every small, seemingly insignificant act of kindness or charity or philanthropic work always sets off a domino effect Mm -hmm. and can lead to huge changes. And I'm excited to see where the rec center project goes. What is the primary takeaway you hope that our listeners have after listening to this episode of Talking Good? I would say that for for the big takeaway is that you don't have to work in a nonprofit to to do this, right? I mean, living a life of of giving back but also of just creating a better community that that can happen for any for anyone. So, you know, you you, you could have a 9 to 5 job um, but if you feel, I, I hope you would explore, you know, doing something outside of your work uh, as, as a way and whatever, it could be anything, you know, it could be something small or something big. It could be something local or something involving something, you know, in a different area of the world. But that idea that you're going to just take a couple of hours, maybe it doesn't even have to be each week, it could be once a month of just improving the world around you, you know, making, making it better for yourself and your neighbors. Um, that's, that's my hope, you know. Thank you for sharing that with me, Dharma. We're down to our last question. What current projects are you working on or hope to work on? And how can our <laughs> listeners connect with you? Okay. Well, I guess I, I talked quite a bit about Lincoln Square Park. So that's one of the current projects. Um, I am I am the director of the Berkeley Food Pantry. So if uh, if listeners are ever in Berkeley, there I'd love to have them stop by and they can volunteer. And those are pretty much the two big projects I'm working on right now. I am hoping that um, I think my family needs to take a, a vacation this year. So yes. that's that's another project. I'm gonna, that's another thing I, I want to add. I think rest for anybody, you know, especially in the Philippines you know, if you're doing fundraising or if you're in a more stressful environment, giving yourself rest, you know, vacation's a good thing. Rest is productive. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Dharma. Thank you, Brittany. It's been great. Well, everyone, that's it for this episode of Talking Good. If you enjoyed it as much as we did, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and give us a five-star rating. I'm Britt Hotelling, and I'll see you next time.